At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this episode, you'll hear Elna Baker. It smelled like there was a homeless man in my vagina, (laughs) which technically means he's no longer homeless, guys. That and more, but before we start, I just want to say, you know, getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Going to the post office takes up time. Leasing a postage meter, that's expensive with multi-year commitments and hidden fees. But we know a better way. Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and printer. You can even get postage discounts. You can save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. We use Stamps.com at Risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you can use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Daka Braca behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Vagina, Vagina, Vagina. If you've been listening for a while, you've probably heard me joke around about the fact that in the first month and a half or so that Risk existed, we had so many pitches that uh, kind of centered around a vagina that I used to joke, oh, we should have just called the series Vagina, Vagina, Vagina. Well, this week we find ourselves knee-deep in vagina all over again, or maybe up to our forearms. (laughs) 
But these are three very different stories from three very wonderful contributors. In just a bit, we're going to hear from a very diehard Risk fan, Miss Amy Salloway. She is a writer, performer, and arts educator from Minneapolis. But before that, the award-winning writer and performer, Mr. Josh Healy, who you can find at joshhealy.org. He visited me in New York recently and shared this one, so without further ado, here is Josh Healy with a story we call OPP. When I was in high school, I was co-president of my school's drama club, and I loved it. I loved the costumes, I loved all 11 people who came to our shows, and most of all, I loved the drama club co-president, Sophia Feingold. Oh, Sophia Feingold. Half Jewish, half Puerto Rican, she was the Jew-Eurican queen of my heart. Sophia was brilliant. So brilliant she spent most our senior year taking extra classes over at the local college. And she hung out a lot at the campus women's center and one day came back to school wearing this t-shirt that read, this is what a feminist looks like. And I thought, wow, feminists look good. I was your average 17 year old boy, big into my Sega Genesis, still brushing up on my third wave feminist theory. Now, we had to pick a show for the drama club spring play. And Sophia told me she had this really exciting idea. She said, Josh, there's this show. It's blowing up at all the colleges around the country. I really think we should do it. It's called The Vagina Monologues. I said, what? What's the show you want to do for our high school senior year spring play? She said, Josh, you're going to love it. It's all about celebrating women's voices, our struggles, our stories. Now, normally, it's an all-female cast, but we're not going to do it the normal way. I said, we're not? How are we going to do it? She said, we are going to put on the first ever co-ed vagina monologues. And Josh, I've got the perfect monologue for you. It's called my angry vagina. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a pretty major role. I'm not sure I've, uh, you know, got what it takes, Sophia. But she said, if any guy can do it, Josh, you can. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to take that as a compliment. But Sophia Feingold was smiling at me. So I was like, okay. I mean, of course I'll do it. I mean, you know, anything for the drama club, right? But in my head, I was like, could I really pull this off? My angry vagina? I was going to have to do some research. I went right to the record store, bought every Ani DeFranco album I could, listened to them joints all weekend, 
Ani was actually surprisingly banging, and when I walked into the first day of rehearsal, I saw the rest of the cast. Four girls and four very excited, totally confused guys. Each of us with our own monologue on a different issue. A girl's first period. A woman giving birth. A woman being raped. And of course, my monologue, which was a rant against the oppression of tampons and douches and every OBGYN tool that could really piss a woman off. This was definitely going to be an educational experience. There were some other people, though, who didn't see it quite that way. Like every guy on my soccer team, who every day at practice would ask me such insightful questions as, Hey, Josh, how's that play going? You get fitted for your panties yet? And I was like, no. What are you even talking about? We don't get our costumes till next week. Meanwhile, Sophia's feminist friends, they weren't too happy either. Their complaint was a little more serious. This one woman came by from the college to tell us, hey, what's going on here? This is supposed to be the vagina monologues. What are all these guys doing here? This play is about women speaking in our own voices, which seemed like a decent point to me. But Sophia said, hey, if we want to have good men later on, we need to have good boys now, which also seemed like a good point, especially when she looked over in my direction and winked. So the show was on and buzz was building and tickets were almost sold out. And then one day, the rest of the cast called Sophia and me in for a meeting. One of the girls said, Look, we've been talking. Maybe those college girls were right. I mean, this co-ed idea, it's really fun and all, but these are some serious women's issues. We should be the ones speaking on them. Sophia did not agree. She did not like anyone questioning her artistic, political vision. She was furious. She said, so what? So you're all just going to back out? And one of the guys said, no, 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 no. Just the fellas. I mean, we'll be at the show, but in the audience. And I'm like, this is crazy. The feminist director is being out-feministed by the cast? What would Ani DeFranco say? I knew what Sophia would say. She was like, well, thank you everyone for all your wonderful creative input. But as co-president of this here drama club, this is how we're going to do the show. Right, Josh? And she looked over at me and everyone looked at me, waiting for me to say something, do something, be something. I wanted to be a good man. But I was only 17, and I looked over at Sophia, then walked over and joined the rest of the cast. I said, I'm sorry, Sophia. I mean, I learned a lot from doing this play, but if we did it like this, I think the angry vagina would be freaking furious. Sophia didn't say a word. She just stormed off, and I resigned as co-president of the drama club. One month later, 
I walked back into the theater for the big premiere. The place was packed. Even the soccer team was there. The lights went down, the curtain went up, and after the first performer finished her monologue, every girl in the crowd was on her feet cheering. Every guy in the crowd was fidgeting uncomfortably in his seat. Every parent in the crowd was wishing we'd just done Hamlet again. And then came the monologue I'd been waiting for. The one that I knew all the lines to. And out to play the part stepped Sophia Feingold. Sophia walked out into the middle of the stage. She looked out into the crowd and then through all the faces in the auditorium, she looked right at me. It felt like we were the only two people in the room. And in that look, in that one look, I saw more than just anger. I saw strength. I saw conviction. I saw a fierce female power that I knew I could only imagine. And I realized the queen had come to claim her throne. Sophia was the right person for the part and she knew it. And I sat there and I was like, that is my co-president up there. This was her moment, her role up there on the stage, mine here in the audience. I had been in the drama club for four years and it was all leading up to this. And Sophia Feingold took a step forward and said in the loudest, proudest voice I'd ever heard, my vagina is angry. It's pissed off. My vagina is furious and it needs to talk. You got a slow suck and as you sucking, you got to lick. You got to lick like you never licked and you lick that shit like you licking a lollipop, like your favorite lollipop and you ain't have it for like six years. Lick that shit like you licking that, but while you licking, also suck. Keep sucking, blow. Start blowing, blowing, blowing as you suck. Lick, 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 blow, lick, lick, lick. And if you have to add a finger, if it starts to um, get a little wild, add a finger. One finger usually does it for me. One finger, you got one hand on the titty, one finger on my coochie, and you sucking on my clitoris. That's what does it. That's usually what does it. I'm sitting on the bed in a hotel room in Bothell, Washington. My boyfriend David is back home in our apartment in Seattle, probably wearing an organic cotton Henley shirt and stirring a pot of lentils. I am smoothing the bedspread of this bed over and over. It has a pattern of pheasants frolicking. I'm smoothing the pheasants because I'm nervous. I have just decided to be a lesbian. Not full-time just for this weekend. This all started because I'd thrown my back out. I thought I'd try to get a massage, which was something that I almost never did because I'm big. The kind of big that grew up being called fatty and tubbo and lardass and whale, and it's always been made clear to me that no one should be required to so much as look at my body, much less touch it, so I've made it a goal to not inflict it on anyone, but my back hurt a lot, 
So I called an ad that I saw in the Seattle Weekly for a female massage therapist, and I took the bus to her house, and she looked at me standing there on her porch, and her face kind of froze. She said, Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't think I'm going to be able to penetrate through all your layers of fat to have any measurable effect on the muscles underneath. I apologize. I just started crying, and I ran away from her house, just ran back to the bus stop, which was right in front of Pita Palace. I pressed my face up to the window and watched that cylinder of lamb rotate on the vertical spike while the guy behind the counter carved strips of it away for euros. And I just thought, oh, I want to be impaled on a spit and carved down like that. I want someone to carve away this body until all that's left is the person I feel like I am inside. I want to be the euros. Why can't I be the euros? David tried to help. He hugged me and mumbled, No, you're not Euros. I don't want you to be Euros. But he's a mountain biker the size of a pencil, so his understanding is limited. And the next day, I saw my therapist, who also stated that she didn't want me to be Euros, and she said, Amy, have you heard of the size acceptance movement? Amy, you need to meet some fat activists. She hands me a lavender flyer, that says, New Fatitudes. And there's a little illustration of a naked fat lady hugging the space needle. And the flyer says that New Fatitudes is a weekend-long conference of workshops, presentations, and resources for women of size working to end weight-based discrimination and to create radical acceptance and inclusivity for all bodies. And I go. In the lobby of the Ramada Inn, there have got to be 200 women, and they are every kind of big. Big and granola, big and tattooed, and big and in black lace-up corsets, like the woman at the welcome table who reaches across and hugs me, and even in that quick moment, I get to feel that amazing contrast between her soft, jiggly bosom and the rigid tin can holding it up. And then she points to the name tags, and there's... Amy, which looks so small and whiny next to tags that say Indigo and Zimbabwe and Jax with two X's. But I pin it on and I just stand there for a second, watching all these women reuniting with each other. There are a lot of um, really short haircuts, a lot of unshaved legs and Birkenstocks and combat boots and the smell of leather and patchouli is in the air. And I think, oh shit, what if this is just for lesbians? Did I miss that on the flyer? The workshops are awesome. I go to Confronting Fat Phobia at the Office, Teaching Your Child Healthy Self-Esteem, which I figure will be useful in all the youth theater that I do. There are also some workshops that I hadn't expected. Like 
S&M from A to Z, <laughs> which somehow I'm swept up by a hallway crowd into going to. At one point, I'm watching the instructor demonstrate safe flogging techniques on a 40-ish computer programmer named Marnie, who's giggling adorably, and I realize that I'm not concentrating at all. What I'm doing is watching the women around me. I'm probably even staring at how much they smile and how relaxed they seem. I mean, I'm like testing out the nipple clamps with everyone else, and I go to voluptuous verse and write the fat haikus. My abdomen, rolling field for dancing lipids. We all deserve love. And through all of this in my head, I'm spinning into a blur because I know that I'm a fake. I don't love my body. I don't believe I'm beautiful, and I barely have sex, and I am so not a lesbian. But now, I wish I was. I wish I was a hot, poly, bondage-loving, dyke person and everything else that these amazing women are, because it's clear that they are so in a community. I get now why all my geek friends go to the cons. Oh, the cons. <laughs> Mini-con, maxi-con, mega, Mars, moon, monster, muffin-con. With the costumes and the theme rooms, they go because that is where they feel normal. Where they get to drink in the affirmation and empathy that, for a brief moment, lets them say, Fuck you to the stupid, hurtful outside world. And maybe take some of that fuck you back home with them. I want that feeling. <laughs> this hotel has a hot tub, and I go down to check it out. I don't own a swimsuit, so I wear a sports bra and lycra shorts and a tank top. What I find in the tub are a dozen naked fat women bobbing about like matzo balls in a huge vat of soup. <laughs> I recognize two of the matzo balls from the S&M workshop, these two beautiful gothy women from Canada that everybody had wanted to sit near because they seemed so cool, and they did this cute thing where they connected their nipple rings together with a piece of chain link, and it was really whimsical. And now one of them says, Hey, I'm Simone, and this is my partner, Dee Dee. Simone tells me that they're the hub of an open marriage in Vancouver that involves men and women and jazz musicians and circus clowns. And she has an eight-year-old daughter that she gave birth to when she was a homeless teen. But that's okay, because now she runs a theater company for homeless teens. And it might be the heat of the tub and the chlorine fumes, but I get this total girl crush on Simone. Matzo balls come and go and time gets sort of loose and mushy. And at one point, Simone and Dee Dee and Jax with two X's are all making out. And Simone stops and says, we're gonna have a little gathering in our hotel room tonight. The three of us, plus some others. Oh, that's great, I say, picturing some wine and Ritz crackers and cheese Whiz. And Simone kind of laughs and runs her hand through her wet hair. And I get it. That's not the kind of gathering she means. <laughs> I know what she means. I don't plan to say this. I swear. It just sort of falls out of my mouth. I say, can I come? 
And Simone says, But Amy, I thought you were straight. Yeah, usually. But maybe just not this weekend? <sighs> Amy, you are so brave. You do know, don't you, that it's every lesbian's fantasy to deflower a straight woman. And I did not know this, but now I do. Simone will pick me up at my room at 10 that night. So, it's 9.53, and I'm sitting on my hotel bed smoothing those pheasants. In my head, I run through the various sexual acts that might be required of me this evening. Oh, I've never done that. Mm, <laughs> nor, nor that. Oh, God, nor any semblance of that. Oh, God. Simone, Dee Dee, Jax, whoever else is there, they are so going to laugh at me. They're going to touch me and know right away with their heightened awareness how inexperienced I am. How late I lost my virginity, how little I've done, how even now I live in a relationship that confuses me so much. With a boyfriend who will catch me looking in the mirror and punching my stomach and thighs because I feel so ugly. And who will always gently take my fists in his hands and say, no, no, stop that. And yet who will turn away from the same body in bed, who will do to it only what he absolutely has to, always under the covers, always in the dark. It's taken me a long time to get up the courage to believe it might be okay to want to experiment a little. And I only just recently started bringing up some of my desires, the very simplest ones. David, w would you ever want to... Do, do you think maybe we could? But the answer to all my ideas has been no. It's not that I don't love you. It's just, let's just leave things the way they are, okay? And I'd feel myself making my hands into fists again. Right back to where I started. I don't know what one wears to a group sex party, so I have on a lacy camisole and a pair of men's boxer briefs trying to cover all the bases, and now they're soaked with sweat. And that's when I hear Simone knock on my door. Room 308's brass eagle lamps are turned down to a romantically dim glow. Simone leads me in and ditches her lingerie, so I do too, because I guess that's what you do, and we join the other women, eight of us, all naked, sitting in a circle on the floor around a center pile of toys and lube and rubber gloves. Then Simone reaches into the pile and pulls out a very pink, penile object and holds it at heart level. She closes her eyes and takes a cleansing breath and says... Welcome, women. I'm going to pass around the talking dildo. When it gets to you, please tell us a little bit about what you're looking for from this experience, what your limitations are, and also whether you have any special needs we should know about. And the dildo moves around the circle to Jax, who's like, I'm about to start my period at any minute, so if anyone plans on going down on me, which would be awesome, just, you know, surf the red tide, baby. <laughs> and Basha, who tells us, 
I have uterine fibroids and they're making it really hard for me to stay vagina positive. And Sandra, who brought along her vampire fangs in case any of us would like to be bitten. When the talking dildo gets to me, I totally freak out like a spaz. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a Pisces. Um, I live here in Seattle. I'm the accounts payable person for a company that does objective medical exams for insurance claims, but that's just to support my acting career and, oh, no special needs. Simone concludes that seems like the general consensus is touchings in, orals on a case-by-case basis, and we draw the line at anal sex and fisting. Does that sound pretty accurate? Everyone nods. Now, if anyone has an issue come up during this evening, please raise your voice and raise your hand and we will stop and help you process. We've got eight people here. That's a lot. So the bed here will be site A. The fold-out couch will be site B. I'd like half of us to start at site A and half to start at site B. And after we've had some time in those groupings, I will call out rotate, which will be your cue to mix it up and change places. Lesbians are very organized. We're each given a black eyeliner to write our names somewhere on our bodies because, as Simone points out, in a dark hotel room, it's hard to tell one naked fat lady from another. We're dispersed to site A and site B. I'm at site B with Simone, which I'm pretty excited about because she seems to know her way around this straight woman deflowering thing. And with Anna, who has thick glasses and for sure seems like she also goes to mega mini monster con. The five women at Site A sit on the bed, staring at us over at Site B. We at Site B stare back at Site A. Heather at Site A finally speaks up. How do we start this thing? Well, I am nothing if not goal-oriented, so I kiss Simone. She tips me down on the sofa bed, and Anna lays down on the other side of me. A soft chorus of, oh, rises from site A as we three site B folks form what I gather must be a lovely tableau. And there's more kissing. And there are hands that start moving slowly south on my body. I raise my head up for a second and see that all of site A is still staring at me, watching. You guys, you're supposed to be getting it on. Sorry, they mumble. Sorry, it's just you're so... I mean, the way you go, I shout at them. Do something. Touch each other. I no longer have any idea what's happening at site A because at site B, both Anna and Simone have their hands between my legs and there is a lot going on. Simone's asking, do you like this? How's that? Oh, great, I say. The truth is, it feels like a team of office temps are assembling a mass mailing in my vagina. Am I turned on? Am I turned off? No, what I am is sort of amused and fascinated. Especially because now Anna is keeping up a commentary in my right ear of, oh baby, oh baby, yeah baby, yeah baby. I never knew that actual people said, oh baby, yeah baby, but you know, she's into it and she's happy. Simone's happy and they're trying to make me happy and... Site A applauds. And then I touch Simone. 
here's where I have to come out and confess that I am just unforgivably, woefully vagina ignorant. I mean, yeah, I can have an orgasm, but it took a man giving me one first before I figured out how to DIY. And even then, what got me to finally touch myself was a yeast infection that was so bad, intense scratching evolved into other things. Oh, God, that's so mortifying. I, I've never looked at those parts in the mirror. I've never compared it to someone else's. Until now. Simone's vagina is familiar and yet not. I'm unsure of how I should be working with the piercings, whether they have specific functions, but Simone helps out. All right, uh huh, you can go deeper. Yup, you can use two fingers. Awesome, Amy. I'm just gonna touch my clit while you do that. Good teamwork. But Anna starts getting jealous. She shuffles her vagina over to Simone and plunks it down next to her in a desperate cry for attention. Simone takes her other hand and multitasks. Anna is rocking back and forth like an Orthodox Jew at the Western Wall. Oh, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, 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 migraine! It turns out that about 10% of the time when Anna has an orgasm, she gets a simultaneous acute migraine headache. And it's time to stop and process. At some point, we rotate. I'm relocated to site A and end up laying next to Basha, who asks me if I would mind playing with her breasts. Jax has an issue in that she really wanted to hook up with Simone. We stop and process. 2.30 a.m. Everyone has either gone back to their rooms or passed out on some piece of furniture, except Basha, Sandra, and me. And we're also nearly comatose, except that Sandra really wants to show us just one more thing. She reaches for the nightstand and puts in her custom-made removable vampire fangs and proceeds to give me and Basha a lesson in biting and spanking. Somehow I'm the one that gets flipped over with my ass in the air, and Sandra starts the demonstration. You want to alternate short, sharp slaps with long, hard strokes. You want to use the air current that the motion of your hand is creating. Spanking is all about taking advantage of the laws of physics. Wow. This evening has been so educational. The next day... I feel loopy. I feel carbonated. This can only be the beginning. I want more. I'm running around to all my new pals. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. My room tonight. Hey, we totally underutilized those sex toys. Bring your vibrators. Psst, Simone, will you go down on me later? Will you? But there's no second night of the sex party. It doesn't happen again. And I know, of course, that it's not more lesbian sex that I want. I don't care that I didn't get to try out a butt plug or lick someone's vagina. Okay, I, I care a little, but not all that much. What I want is to store up what it felt like to be worth licking and plugging. To be seen as sexy and desirable. I want to press my body against all those bodies and maybe coordinate with their cycles enough that I can absorb their strength and confidence. As I wait at the front window of the Ramada Inn for David to pick me up, I remember the window of Pita Palace 
and wishing so much that I was that lamb cylinder on a spit, getting carved farther and farther down. And I clutch my stomach because for the first time, I realize how horribly sad that is. I wouldn't want anyone I met at New Fatitudes to be carved down ever. I only want all of us to be built up to contain so much joy and so many possibilities to show the world just by radically existing, as they say, that all bodies are valid. All bodies are worthy of respect and dignity and love. As David's car pulls up and I see his gentle, quiet face, I don't know what's going to happen from here. And I can tell you that even now, years later, On any given day, I still don't know what's going to happen. There are times when I walk down the street feeling totally at peace with my body. And other times when I hear, Get out of the crosswalk, you fat bitch! And I descend into every violent wish I ever had for myself. It's a moment-by-moment thing. But I know I have a strong toolkit inside me to help me out. And I probably have an orgy of lesbians to thank for helping me find it. My veg, like an operatic ballad, yo veg, like grandpa's cabbage, and my veg. Effortless, yo veg, post ads on Craigslist. My veg, score aloe vera, yo veg, look like Tony Danza. My veg, like tasting heaven, yo veg, manages a 7 Eleven. Yo, my veg, make your girl panties cream. Yo veg, spreads hepatitis C. And my veg, a chrome Range Rover. Yo veg, hatchback 81 Toyota. Yo, my veg, Harvard Law School, yo veg, Apex Technical, my veg, speak five different languages. This is Risk, and that is Aquafina behind me now. I think we're just going to have to take her word for it, that her vag is 50 times better than a penis, but... She does sound like a real authority on the subject. And just before Aquafina, we heard a story from Amy Salloway. Now listen, I want to remind everyone that coming up very soon is the Big Max Fun Drive. Our annual pledge drive will be happening from March 17th through March 28th, 2014. Our goal is 1,500 new or upgraded members. And there will be tons of wonderful gifts for new members or upgrading members. Among the gifts will be bonus episodes of Risk, and this has proven to be the very best way for us to generate direly needed funds to keep Risk running. We are listener-supported, 
So if you love what we do, make sure you check out Max Fun Drive between March 17th and March 28th. You can find it at MaximumFun.org slash donate. Our last story today comes from the wonderful Elna Baker everyone loves. When Elna tells a story on the show, and this is a pretty unforgettable one, Elna told this at the Last Risk Live show in New York City. Here she is now with a story we call, Ooh, Ooh, That Smell. Okay, I'm done. So I'm in L.A. last pilot season, and I'm about to pitch a show that I would write and star in to the head of development at NBC and a bunch of executives. And this is the fourth time that I've gone out to L.A. and spent my own money and all of my own hope on this thing. And it's the closest I have ever gotten. And when you get really close to a dream of yours, you start to look back at all the other times that it didn't work out and wonder if there was maybe some part of you that didn't want to succeed or a part of you that self-sabotages. And so my goal this time was to find that part of me and completely annihilate it. So as a woman, when you get out to L.A. and try to work in that side of things, I'm not stupid. Like, I know that the best thing I could do is not write or be funny or create. It's just how I look. And, you know, I know that if I lost 30 pounds, it would be a huge game changer. And not that I haven't tried. It's just like, ladies, it's very hard to get down to your alien weight. (laughs) The other thing is that I, for most of my life, I was overweight or, um, or obese, you know, semantics. <laughs> um, at my heaviest, I was 265 pounds, and in my mid-20s, uh, I lost, I guess altogether it was 100, 110 pounds. And so the thought of trying to lose 30 more, it's, it's just too much. It's hard. And the thing is, like, I was trying to act when I was obese. And, I remember what it was like. I used to go to these auditions, and they would say things to me like, we're looking for someone of a a different build, or you just don't match the male lead. Or my personal favorite, someone once said, this character eats less than you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, okay. (laughs) Um, Or they would just give me unsolicited advice, like, have you thought of Pilates? Like, like my biggest problem was I wasn't flexible enough. <laughs> and so, you know, when I went on this diet and lost all the weight, it was like this huge life change. And yes, I, I got all these new opportunities and, and I have more confidence. And, and yet, when I started going out to Hollywood or, or, you know, meeting with agents, they would do the same version of the old thing, which is they would say, uh, You know, Tina Fey lost 30 pounds for her career, and it it was a big game changer. And just using all these shining examples of other women that that you could be if you were were already them. And uh, (laughs) so, you know, I, uh, this time I was like, I'm not gonna let 
this stand in my way, I'm gonna try to lose 30 pounds. And so I went on this, uh, like a, a juice fast, uh, without any juice, uh, for a month. <laughs> and I was down, you know, 15 pounds. I gotten down 15 pounds, and I, I mean, it was the skinniest I've been, and it was hard, and I was stressed out, and I was hangry, and, and in the midst of this, my boyfriend flew out from New York to visit me, and it was about five days before this big pitch meeting, and he saw me, and he was like, you are not yourself. He's like, babe, take a break. I know this great place, it's just uh, up in Big Sur. It's sort of like this spa retreat. We'll go there for the weekend and you can just relax before the meeting. And I was like, all right. So we went to, does anyone know what Esalen is? Yeah. yeah, so not, it's, he pitched it so wrong. He called it a spa retreat. We arrive and it says, Esalen, a community experiment in mental health. Ah. <laughs> um, excuse me? A giant intervention and this like group therapy and it was great but I was like I sort of wanted to get my nails done I'm not gonna lie <laughs> I didn't want to talk about my mom and my life issues so we're going to these therapy sessions and then I'm like where's the spa part of this whole thing and he's like wait till tonight I'm gonna take you to the back and they're famous for, they have these big saltwater sulfur baths that overlook the ocean. And so it's night, we go out there, and just as we're about to go in, he's like, oh, by the way, um, it's kind of a nudist thing. He's like, you're cool with that, right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, like, it didn't even occur to him that I wouldn't be cool with that because he's an attractive person, so. And normally that's a good thing, <laughs> but not right now because the truth is, like, I do not like to be naked in front of other people. And you know, it's not just like girl issues. Like I used to weigh 110 pounds more than I do now. So when I don't have clothes on, I have extra skin and I have a scar completely across my body front to back from when they took some of the extra skin off. And I have scars up my legs and I have stretch marks. And I don't like people to see me that way. And, but I was like, okay, fine, fine, I can do this, I can do this. And I, we walk into this room of like, you know, 50 people that are naked at the bass, and they're just like LA yoga. I mean, they could not be more attractive. It's just like walking by. In fact, I like was, you know, you're trying. I was trying to like be confident, cheer myself up, and I invented a song where I was like, she's got that super fly body. I got that octomom body. <laughs> singing that to myself. I was like, you can do it, girl. You can do it, girl. It don't matter. Um, and I'm just trying to be like, okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I get in the baths, and they're, they're all talking, like uh, the power of intention or the secret. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, the secret is you're attractive. You can have whatever you want. <laughs> and I reverted to the middle school version of me that was just like super judgy and like making, making faces. And my boyfriend turned to me, he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the solo bath. And so I walked over and they had these big like clawfoot bathtubs. And so I just like plopped down in one of those sulfur things and like the water was completely over me and I just like was hiding. And I remember like my, my knee was poking up and I could see like the, just the top, like a hump of my knee. And I suddenly like had this memory. And it's funny cause like I was fat for most of my life, but I don't have that many memories of what my body looked like, which makes me think I just never looked down or I just only looked there in mirrors. And then suddenly I remembered my body and I remembered being in a bathtub 
And it was like shortly after I, <laughs> I found out I was too big to get in a bathtub that was full of water without making the water overflow. <laughs> so I had to sit in the bathtub and then fill it with water <laughs> in case I gauged it wrong, guys. <laughs> Ins and outs of being fat. <laughs> you know what I mean, guys? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so, so I remember I was in this bathtub and I had filled it with water and I was able to almost fully cover my body except that my stomach was like poking up above the water. And I remember just looking at it and thinking it was like an island. And then I like, there was like mini shampoo and conditioner. I like put him, I was like, no, I'm a boy, I'm meeting on the island. I'm a girl on the island. And I just played on this little island. And the thing is, it wasn't a sad memory at the time, but thinking about it now, I was like, I remembered what it was like to be obese. And it really did feel like I was an island. And I had worked so hard to get off that island. And yet at the same time, I didn't want to be like those people. I felt like I owed it to her to never become that way or something. And yet, like, it didn't mean that those people couldn't make me feel bad about my own body. <laughs> and so, I was just sitting in this bathtub and, like, all these issues that you think that you've gotten over, like, they're just, like, coming back. And I felt like I just absorbed all these, like, bad feelings about myself, which is exactly what you need before you go to a pitch meeting. <laughs> so, so, we get up and I, I say, I have to leave now. And, and my boyfriend and I go and, we spend the night in the yurt, you know, because when in California. <laughs> and um, the next morning, we leave to drive back down to LA. And we're in the car, and I'm kind of still thinking about this. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, it's weird. It, it sort of still smells like the sulfur, you know, like a bad rotten egg smell of the bath. And I'm like, did I get it on some clothes? I'm like sniffing around. I'm like, where is that smell coming? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god. Is that my vagina? <laughs> I know. I mean, I have never smelled my own vagina. I mean, like, you know, if you get real close, but like from here to my face, I have never been able to smell my own vagina. And I can smell it real good. And I say to my boyfriend, I'm like, do you smell, like, do you smell that? Do you, does my vagina smell right now? And he's like, no, no, I don't, I don't smell anything. And I was like, are you sure? And so I made him like drive to like a CVS and I proceeded to buy like every single thing that you could put into your vagina <laughs> to make it smell better. It was like a bad nursery rhyme. Like there was a vagina that swallowed a douche. <laughs> oh, what they used to swallow a douche. It swallowed the douche when Dr. Phil told it to first swallow Vagisil. <laughs> it swallowed the Vagisil when Summers and Eve couldn't get the smell to leave. Like I just kept putting things into my vagina, hoping it would smell better. And it just kept smelling worse. And another day went by, and another day went by, and it was the day of my pitch meeting. And I, like, I just remember, I had prayed before. I was like, please wake up and be suddenly better. And I woke up, and even before I opened my eyes, I was like, <laughs> like, it was, like, I'm not even joking. It's like, you know when you get in a train car, and you're like, oh, there's a homeless guy in here. You don't even have to see them. It smelled like there was a homeless man in my vagina. <laughs> he's no longer homeless, guys. <laughs> so, so I say to my boyfriend, I'm like, I, it, 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 you cannot tell me I do not smell right now. It smells terrible. And he's like, babe, you're just trying to psych yourself up. You have this big meeting. You're trying to get in your own head about it. Like, you don't smell. I don't smell anything, I promise. And then as if to like prove his point, he's like, if it smelled, would I do this? And then he went down on me. <laughs> and 
you know, that helped me feel a little bit better. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I am making this up. I'm like, I, why would I do this? But why would I make this up? But okay, okay, I don't smell, I don't smell. And I got, you know, dressed for the meeting, and it's all like you have like one designer outfit that you like paid way too much to wear to this meeting, and like everything is just a show. Like you already are rich and famous when you are not at all. And um, so I get ready to go to the meeting, and I, I remember I looked in this full-length mirror, and you know, it was this like moment of like. I have worked so hard over the years to get here. And I don't think like, I thought, all I thought was like, I'm so tired. <laughs> that was all I thought. And I left the meeting and next thing you know, I'm in front of this like, it's like eight executives on the other side of a table. And I'm standing up there and I'm supposed to give this 15 minute pitch. And it's like, oh, this is a Mormon girl who lives in New York and says yes, but then something she gotta say no to. And as I'm saying this, I'm like doing that thing where like you're talking, but you're thinking a whole other thing in your head. So I'm like, and uh, she says yes to life, but no to sex and drugs. And as I'm saying this, I'm like, he can smell my vagina. She can smell my vagina. He's wondering what that smell is. He knows it's my vagina. And I, I just the whole room was like. What is the smell, right? <laughs> and so it ended and I left and like they get put like a temporary hold, like they were gonna buy it and then the deal fell through and, and I fly back to New York and guys, my vagina still smelled. It did not, and like, I didn't have insurance so I was like, oh, all right, I just, I have to spend $300 to go to the gynecologist. And before I did that, I was like, okay, last ditch attempt. I'm gonna see if I can be my own gynecologist right now and figure this shit out. So this is a little bit gross, as though this hasn't been gross already. Um, guys, it might get a little gross. I don't know if you're ready for that. Um, so I, uh, took, I, you know, and I like checked the oil, right? But like, I hadn't, I was like, I'm gonna like boldly go where, where no man has gone before, you know, like up into the outer space, the dark void. I like stuck my hand up there and like got it up pretty high and like also like does anyone know what it like ladies do you know what it's supposed to feel like you do I don't know what it's supposed to feel like up there it's just like a it's like a black hole right so I'm like feeling around I don't know what I'm feeling for and I think I have my hand on like the inner wall of my vagina and all of a sudden it moves, like it fucking moves. I know, and I pulled my hand out, so I was like, oh, baby, baby leg, baby leg, I touched a baby leg. Oh my God, I touched a baby leg. I touched my baby leg. I don't know, I didn't know I had a baby, and I have a baby leg, and I think the baby's dead because the baby smells really bad. And I was like freaking out. And I was like, you gotta go back in, girl. You gotta go back in. Like we gotta find this, find solve it, Nancy Drew style. <laughs> Stuck my hand back in there, and I got a hold of the baby foot, and um, I started like slowly to pull it out, and I took it out, and um, I first of all, I do not know, like there is literally no point in my memory when this could have happened. Maybe it happened a month or two earlier, but I lost a tampon, and I didn't know and then probably had sex, and then it went further into that land. And then 
the sulfur water had been absorbed in it and that's what the smell had been. And I pulled that, and I'm not kidding, it was the worst. I started, I've only heard the expression, to retch. I was like, <laughs> I was retching. And then I just started projectile vomiting. And I like threw it in this thing, like flushed it down. I was like, oh, there was like, it was so the grossest thing that's ever happened in my whole life. And, and I immediately called my boyfriend, because I was like, I, could, I, I called him and I was like, you are never going to believe what just happened. And I tell him all of this and he's like, oh, thank God. Your pussy smells so bad. And he's like, I had to go down on that. And I was like, what? I was so mad. I was like, you lied to me. Like, he made me feel crazy. But at the same time, I do think that was the, the greatest gesture of love anyone has ever given anyone in all time. And uh, so I, I went back and I like cleaned the vomit up off the, and then I just still felt dirty, so I, I took a bath and I remember just soaking in this bath. It was probably the first time in a month and a half I had relaxed a little bit even. And I just suddenly hit me how absurd, like after all the work, after everything, then this is the way it had ended. And then I realized, you know, at least I now know, if there's a part of me that doesn't want to make it, it's my vagina. <laughs> Thank you. That's it for this episode, folks. This is Goldfrap behind me now. And what you just heard from Elna Baker there is what a Risk live show sounds like. Come out and see one. On March 27th, we are at the pit in New York City with Jeff Zimmerman, Sean Crispo, John O'Donnell, and more. That very same night, March 27th, we are in Los Angeles at Nerd Melt with Aubrey O'Day. On April 4th, we're in Reno, Nevada. And on April 11th, we're back in Philly. To find out more about tickets and everywhere that Risk is happening next, go to risk-show.com slash tour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Risk Show. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Kevin Allison. Don't forget that the entire first season of Risk, the first year of our podcast, is no longer available for free, but is available on iTunes in the album section. Episodes are 99 cents each, and of course our all-star episodes are also there for $2.99 each. All wonderful stuff not to be missed. 
And don't forget, it's been a while since I've mentioned it, but we have an ongoing deal. It's a tremendous bargain. And I'm not just saying that. Risk fans have emailed us to say, wow, this really is a great deal. At adamandeve.com. That's for all your needs of condoms, lube, sex toys, everything from glass dildos to naughty school uniforms. <laughs> uh, just use the offer code RISK. It's 50% off almost any item, free shipping and more. AdamandEve.com and the offer code is RISK. Finally, don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about storytelling, just go to the storystudio.org. Uh, we teach one-on-one over Skype. We have workshops in New York and Los Angeles. We do corporate workshops, and we have an online video lecture series with a workbook that you can do in your own time. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. <laughs>